Welcome to the Presilience Podcast, Episode 9, with Lance Hockridge. I'm your host, Joe Saunders. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Presilience Podcast. I'm joined here today by Lance Hockridge. Uh, Lance is a globally experienced manufacturing, logistics, and transportation executive. He has nearly 40 years of experience in the transportation and heavy industrial sectors in Australia and the United States with BHP Builden, uh, Blue Scope Steel, and Horizon. Lance retired as Managing Director and CEO of Horizon in November 2016. Uh, Lance was a member of the Business Council of Australia. He was a private sector member of the Australian Government's Department of Defence Gender Equality Advisory Board and is a founding member of Queensland's Male Champions of Change Group. He was a Deputy Chairman of the Queensland Government Domestic and Family Violence Implementation Council and he was also the first Australian to be awarded the prestigious UN Empowerment Award in March of 2016. That is a bio and a half, Lance. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. <laughs> it's good to be here. Yes, it's always a little uh, embarrassing to hear that uh, back when it's put like that. Well, I, I had to trim it down or else we wouldn't have had any time to actually ask you any questions. Yeah, sometimes that's the objective, of course. <laughs> Very good. Lance, just to, to dive right into the conversation, uh, there, there's uh, if, if we went into everything you've been a part of, we, we would never actually get anywhere. We'd, we'd end up spending... Uh, 14 hours chatting about your your career. Uh, so I'd like to dive straight into picking your brain about uh, about the topic of the day. Now, uh, you've been involved in, in leadership and corporate strategy at the highest levels for nearly 40 years. Uh, and in that time, you've navigated significant challenges, both internal and external to the organizations you've been working for. What do you think are the key factors that determine how well people, teams, and organizations navigate change, especially topical given everything that's happened in 2020? Yeah, well, it's a reminder, isn't it, about uh, what people describe often as black swan events or uh, uh, <clears throat> unknowns. Uh, but but I think that's the role of uh, of, of senior executives, is, uh, isn't it, uh, uh, to really uh, accept that uh, there are things that we don't know, and often there's there's times when. You, you can't know uh, until, until it's upon you. So leadership is about equipping yourself to be able to uh, not be imprisoned by history, not be imprisoned by technology, not be imprisoned by our systems and processes, but rather to use those things as, uh, uh, as vehicles, as uh, means by which we can really lead our organisations, uh, uh, <clears throat> not just through the, uh, through the good and the obvious times, but also through the challenging and difficult times. Mm. You, you used uh, interesting language there about being imprisoned by, by different structures. And, uh, and that's something that, uh, that we found very interesting working with our clients is you, you sometimes have um, leadership groups that are very focused on, on people. You've got leadership groups that are very focused on policy and procedure and processes and governance. Right. You have uh, leadership groups that are sometimes very, um, uh, let's say, st stuck in the way things have always been uh, and, and, and very risk adverse to doing anything new. How do you, uh, knowing that everyone has, has biases in, term, in terms of how they like to do things, how do you navigate that as a leadership team? 
Well, I, I think first and foremost, it's about the team and it's about the composition of the, uh, of the team. Uh, at, at any kind of senior level, uh, our life as, uh, as leaders, particularly business leaders, but not just business leaders, uh, uh, is, uh, is, is really about being able to navigate risk understanding what risk is, what risk looks like. And, and, and the first element to go to your question about that is therefore to have a breadth of background and experience. Uh, one of the things that I've always uh, found is that, uh, uh, you know, we used to call it groupthink. Um, we used to think about things from the point of view of technical capability, etc. Those kinds of things tend to lead if not addressed to what I described a moment ago as that imprisonment. So first and foremost, I think the best way to avoid that is to make sure that when you sit around as a team, you've got a breadth of background, you've got a breadth, whether it's of technical background, of experiential background, of diversity background, all of those things, in my view, really underpin our ability to be able to think in the broadest way around the kind of, uh, of challenges that we face as leaders. Mm, so you're saying the, the, the answer to that really is to, um, is to draw upon a, a variety of experience levels rather than uh, yeah, having people that have the same opinions as you and then uh, <laughs> going to the group and getting the echo chamber response. Yeah, well, that that's the classic definition, isn't it, of uh, of groupthink, and okay. uh, and uh, for the longest time, of course, there was a a big body of uh, of opinion and research that said that that was the way to build capability, mm. to, to layer it up around the kind of whether it's technical uh, or or technological kind of uh, of background, but uh, it. it fundamentally that uh, that means that you're limited to whatever that level of experience is mm. so uh, in in having in a team the kind of breadth of experience that we're uh, that we're talking about means that when you come to think about well what is this problem we're grappling with or what are the risks that as an organization as a team we're going to face then you bring into uh, in, into uh, square focus uh, a, a range of perspectives that you perhaps otherwise would not get. Mm. Mm. You mentioned something earlier about uh, about risk based uh, thinking and risk based decision making, uh, and it's certainly something that I think has uh, has come to the fore as we've looked at how our various state and federal governments have managed the uh, you know, coronavirus crisis, the pandemic, about uh, yeah the, the sort of decisions that we're making in terms of restrictions to put in place, how much economic damage do we sustain for the for the sake of, of public health. Uh, so I think it is something that everyone is becoming more aware of in that that um, risk based um, or risk management and risk based decision making has to come to the fore. What role do you think that how do you sort of see the the, the process of risk management and, and risk based decision making in general corporate leadership? Well, I'd, I'd like to think that it, it's really at the uh, at the heart and soul uh, of it, particularly at at, uh, at higher levels. <clears throat> uh, 
I, I come, of course, particularly from the uh, from the perspective of uh, of senior leadership in commercial organisations, in publicly listed organisations. But I see it also. Even one of the things that I'm involved with at the moment, <clears throat> pardon me, is uh, uh, is with the salvos. And as we think about the very issues that you've just described, imagine what that means for an organisation like the Salvation Army in everything from its service provision to worship, uh, thinking about what the future is going to look like in a, uh, a post-pandemic uh, world. So in, I'm, the point I'm making is I think this applies whether you're in a, uh, a not-for-profit organisation, a commercial organisation, a listed uh, organisation that unless you've got a framework, a risk framework through which you look at the world, think about the world and react to the world, then inevitably you're going to be in reactive mode rather than trying to build capability, we can't know everything. We can't be prepared for everything, but we can be as well prepared as we possibly can be. And I think it's just uh, uh, unforgivable, frankly, these days to be in a situation where you've not done that kind of preparation. Well, yeah, that, and that's a, it's a strong statement, but I fully agree with you that, yeah, People incorrectly refer to this as a black swan event, but it's it's really not. <laughs> I mean, we pandemics have always happened. Um, I mean, it, we we had one in two thousand and eight. Uh, there, there was most organisations, especially if they traded throughout Asia, uh, had plans in place in two thousand and eight, which I, I dare say probably didn't get haven't been looked at since two thousand and nine <laughs> until until you know a couple of months ago. And uh, and we look at that and go, you know, how much how much uh, slack. Do we, do we give leadership for, for being ignorant to something that happened only a decade ago? Um, at the same time, as you said, it's, it's not about being able to predict what the next thing is. It's about building our capability and capacity to, to manage whatever the next thing is. Well, look, I think that's exactly right, isn't it? And, uh, <clears throat> and there was an event in Asia in the, uh, in the late 90s. Uh, mm. So uh, the, uh, the predictability of there being uh, events of this nature which are going to have a major impact on our business. However that's manifest, I think is a risk that all businesses ought to have had uh, on their slate. <clears throat> and overlay that with what's changing in, uh, in, in our world. Uh, as you say, if you, if you think back even a dozen years, uh, the extent to which technology has changed, the sort of technology that we're using now, let alone the basic technology of, uh, of business, the technology of how we interact, the degree, the nature of, uh, of travel, the extent of globalisation in, uh, in our world, goes to the heart, I think, of what lies behind your question, that uh, all of these and many more uh, of the sort of things that we've been experiencing over the last 12, 15, 20 years uh, are bringing uh, layers of risk around what happens if we do have uh, another, uh, another pandemic and how do we react to, uh, how do we prepare for it? How do we react to it? How do we come out of it, not as victims, but as winners? 
Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a really uh, interesting point you raised there about not coming out as victims or not just surviving, but actually coming out stronger for the experience uh, and something uh, internally for us uh, as risk to solution is it was really the first opportunity for us to uh, you know, to put our money where our mouth was and say, okay, we, we've been we've been um, providing services in this space. Let's see how well we do it. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's 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 been great. We've had a lot of learnings, a lot of proof of concept, but uh, certainly. I think there's a. It's very easy to be reactively pessimistic <laughs> when, yeah. when you're taken off. You're taken off uh, off guard with, with something that that uh, was not in your risk register. That was that was not something you were thinking about happening this year, uh, and uh, and then you sort of just see the struggle and suffering around you. It's hard to think about how do we get out of this better in 2021 or 2022 or whatever it is than we were in 2019. Yeah. Look and and. As you start to conceptualise it in those sort of terms, you think about things like resilience and innovation and entrepreneurship, as well as the stuff that we were talking about a few minutes ago in terms of diversity uh, around a uh, around a leadership uh, table. Uh, it, it so as not to get carried away. It also, it seems to me, reinforces the critical importance of fundamental capability. And I come, as you described before, from uh, from a uh, transport manufacturing uh, type uh, type background. Uh, when I uh, was early in my career, the key and critical strengths and capabilities were technical capabilities. So engineering, metallurgy, finance, these kinds of things. Uh, I think today the key and distinguishing capabilities are what uh, we, we unfortunately in many respects call soft capabilities. So, you know, the elements of leadership, the sort of thing that we're talking about at the moment. And, and I very much subscribe to that view, but not, uh, not at the exclusion of the hard skills. The hard skills are the things that, at the end of the day, are foundational in our uh, in our business. If you don't pay attention to those things, and if you don't continue to have critical capability in uh, in those areas, then inevitably, to say the least, you're going to find life difficult. But it's that balance. You've got to have that. Uh, that foundational capability, but what we're learning and, and indeed, as you say, what we're experiencing at the moment is that the skill base that makes a difference in today's world are these risk management capabilities. Mm. And I think one thing that we we all, <laughs> no matter what industry we're in, uh, our business is run by people. Uh, our, our human our human resources. Our human factors are always going to uh, impact how efficiently the rest of the business operates, um, because you can have a very skilled person who, if they're not emotionally engaged, is not going to be giving you their full potential. So I'd be interested to um, uh, to really pick your brain on this as someone who's been in leadership for so long. Um, the pandemic isn't just impacting businesses; it's obviously it's impacting human beings that that are, uh, especially where I am here in Melbourne. I mean, um, you know, pe- people are. Yeah, I don't think it's too strong a term to say people are damaged at the moment. We've uh, we're emotionally 
uh, frazzled. <laughs> people are people are at their wits' end with circumstances beyond their control, which we know human beings are not very good at processing um, when we have a problem that's outside of our control. But for for corporate leaders that are trying to help their people return to the workforce, return to some sort of BAU. Um, how do you go about getting the most out of people and, and really helping them reach their potential when you know perhaps they're not performing as best as they possibly could? Yeah, boy, that's a, uh, a very broad-ranging question, Joe, isn't it? I mean, it's... it's <laughs> you feel take wherever you like. Yeah, and, and there are elements to pick up the, the thread that you're talking about in terms of what we've been experiencing during the course of, uh, of most of this year that really goes to those elements of how do we bring and how do we encourage others to bring their whole selves to work? Uh, <clears throat> and uh, uh, again, uh, in past lives, we weren't encouraged to do that. We were, you know, leave all that baggage at the front gate and uh, just come in and do your work. Well, we know that doesn't work. It doesn't work optimally. So the first uh, area of response around your question is to understand that we're all individuals and we all bring uh, as individuals that wealth of background and experience, learned experiences, how we react to uh, to things, uh, and and I think it's so important, as I say, to say to your people, uh, bring all of yourself to uh, to work, and uh, and and be open about those things. Uh, be open about uh, how we uh, how we interact uh, with uh, with each other. So we, we see that in a uh, in a pandemic world, but it's true at any time to a greater or, uh, or lesser uh, extent. And uh, as I reflect particularly in the latter part of my career where so much of my job was about uh, not running today's business, but equipping the business to be successful in 10 years time. And that was about having the best people. And, uh, and, and so a lot was about, a lot of my work was around bringing in good people into the business and making them the best people. And a lot of that without, uh, without going on at great length was about self-awareness. Uh, I think that in a world that many of us have gone through over the last 20 or 30 years, the uh, the temptation has been to try to mould yourself to your view of what the world wanted, what an organisation wanted, as opposed to really being understanding of what uh, we are as individuals and what we, uh, uh, what we bring, of being, uh, as I say, self-aware about, uh, about those things. Yeah, and that's such an important point and really refreshing to hear uh, someone of your experience talk about these things because, as you said, I mean, for so long, uh, there was an expectation of, of if you're in this position, then you need to act this way uh, or you need to tick these boxes and if you don't fit that mould, then you'll be removed and someone else will step in who does fit that mould. But it, it really negates the strengths uh, that individuals bring to the table, I, I guess. I mean, every, every individual has different strengths in, in terms of their leadership and their ability to build a good team and build culture. 
uh, and, and being aware of what you can bring to the table and also what others are bringing to the table, uh, I think it enables you to get the most out of everybody. Yeah, and, and that's that's the point, isn't it? That uh, and it's interesting how some of these things go in cycles. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was reflecting as I was thinking about our conversation this morning uh, and looking on social media, uh, the the uh, proportion of people who are holding themselves out as leadership experts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and look, I'm not decrying that, but, but these things go in cycles. And, and I think that the, uh, as we're talking about, um, part of leadership is being open to uh, development, self-development, first and foremost. Um, none of us are the complete package, if I can use that, uh, uh, that terminology. We're all a function of our life experiences, of our work experiences, of the things that we've been, the things that we've seen, the things that we've, uh, uh, we've done. And, uh, and it goes back to where we started our conversation about unforeseen events. Uh, the, the more we can know uh, who and what we are, what our uh, what our own, not only technical skills, but how we see the world, how we experience the world, how we interact with the world, and therefore how others then see us and react to us and interact to us. The more that we can develop our capability in, in that area, then the better will be our experience of leadership, both as someone who is being led and someone who is, who is leading an organisation. And I think that leads really nicely into something else I wanted to ask you about, which, which was establishing culture uh, within an organisation and how important that is. And I, and I guess what, what strategies that you found to be successful in establishing positive, supportive culture within your organisations? Yeah, boy, again, um, people write uh, books and <laughs> volumes, don't they? Yeah, no, about no, all no, of Richard, this. You've got five but, minutes. <laughs> uh, but, but at its heart, just, just to reinforce that, uh, that, that culture is what we do around here and how we do it. Uh, and it is so fundamentally critical in my view, to the success of an organisation or otherwise. And we've seen real evidence of that, haven't we, uh, in um, uh, <clears throat> the sorts of examples that have been paraded uh, past us over the, uh, over the last couple of, uh, of years. And, and, and the first thing I would say is that culture comes from the top leadership of the company. Uh, in a uh, in a commercial world, in a publicly listed world, that's uh, the role of the board and particularly of the uh, of the chief executive. And uh, my my observation would be that it is something upon which you have to reflect, you have to work, and you have to work hard, and you have to follow up. Uh, <clears throat> culture doesn't just happen. Um, culture is the outworking of uh, all of the sort of things that we've been talking about uh, this morning. And it's not good enough just to say, well, we want a good culture around here. 
You know, we want we want to send out a bunch of uh, employee surveys and get back those warm and fuzzy type uh, uh, responses. Uh, being able to articulate what the culture is in an organisation and, and particularly what the elements of culture are in, uh, in an organisation is so important. Often that's bound up in uh, what, what we used to talk about in terms of vision, mission, objectives in, a, in an organisation. And I think those things are still important because if you can, if you can talk about that, but then talk about the layers of how you're going to get there. What is it that we are going to do? And equally important, what are we not going to do? <clears throat> the values in an organisation uh, uh, therefore rise to the, uh, to, the, to the top of the pile, uh, don't they, uh, in, in thinking about this, this question. Yeah, I think because uh, Simon Sinek who mentioned uh, the celery test, which is um, if you if you say you're if you say you're going to eat healthy and you and you talk about eating healthy, uh, and then your shopping cart is full of is full of junk food, then uh, nothing nothing that you said <laughs> holds any weight, right? It's a, it's all about whether it passes the celery test. Uh, uh, are you living what what the posters say? And, uh, and, and no one sets out. I, I, I don't think I ever recall anybody saying uh, uh, my objective is to have a crappy culture. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, but, but just talking about it uh, is, is one thing, being able to understand it in the way that we're, uh, that we're talking about. So I've always been a great believer in the, uh, uh, the importance of safety. Mm. <clears throat> safety is a value in an organisation, not just something that we pay attention to. Um, uh, <clears throat> the way that that then becomes all pervasive in thinking about the risks in an organisation, the way that we work in an organisation, the way that we look after uh, each other. Uh, but it also goes to, it's more than the warm and fuzzies. You know, it's not just about saying we work safely around here and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have our kumbaya moments, et cetera, et cetera. There's also a hard edge. Uh, there's, uh, to, to the extent that this is li linked to culture, it is about we're not going to, we, we, on the one hand, first and foremost, we are going to lead and we are going to provide all of the capability and all of the learning and all of the education and all of the development and all of the tools uh, to equip us to be absolutely successful in our, uh, in our safety quest and, uh, and journey. <clears throat> but it's also about saying, you know what, there are standards around this <clears throat> and uh, at the end of the day, we are going to expect that everybody in this organisation lives up to those, those standards. And so it's both the positive uh, and, and to that extent, at least the negatives that, that really didn't define the culture of, a, of an organisation. Absolutely. And I think it, it uh, underpins everything else we'll say. I mean, if you have a a strong, supportive, and, and positive culture with, with very clearly defined standards and clearly defined values. 
then it will help your people be more resilient or dare we say pre-resilient. Uh, it'll help your people perform better. It will, it will have, you'll have better leadership at all levels of the organization if the culture is there to underpin those, those values. Well, well, absolutely. And, and, and anybody coming into the organization can then be clear about uh, what it is that's expected of them. And, uh, and and uh, and not expected uh, uh, in uh, going into what was the then uh, government-owned corporation, Queensland Rail, I used to describe uh, making change of this kind of somewhat akin to trying to uh, uh, walk through mud in gumboots. You know, that the, the culture is sticky. Culture is tough. Culture is uh, is difficult, but it was also a blamage that no one could really define and explain to me what it was that, as a collective, as an organisation, we were trying to achieve. What success looked like and felt like, and and therefore how I, as an individual, fitted into achieving those kinds of uh, of outcomes and 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 as we as we talk about leadership and risk and 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 all the things that we're chatting about that that's so so important mm -hmm. just to wrap up the the last question for you i have lance is what what advice would you give to leaders and executive teams now as they're, they're attempting to navigate the new whether we call it COVID normal or the post-COVID world that will hopefully be in sooner rather than later. What advice would you give if someone came to you and said, Lance, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. Uh, give, give me some Yoda wisdom. <laughs> well, uh, it, it really picks up on everything that we've been talking about, Joe. I think uh, uh, don't throw babies out with bath waters. Uh, firstly, it is about understanding the culture and the leadership uh, and what success looks and feels like that we've uh, we've just spoken about. So then go through that process of reviewing and reimagining what in any circumstances are going to continue to be fundamental building blocks for your business or as an individual, for you, for a career, uh, et cetera. What are the things then that we've learned that we didn't know 12 months ago. Now, I don't mean by that, although it's interesting about, uh, you know, COVID-19 and its impacts, but what we've learned about is from a risk point of view, from a leadership point of view, how quickly things can change. And we can either be well-equipped or diabolically badly equipped. We can, on the other dimensions, we we understand the extent to which there are things that are beyond our control uh, that uh, we we have to uh, we have to cope with. So, uh, picking up those learnings and building them into our risk frameworks going forward, that leads me back to the observations about things like uh, capability, about resilience, about uh, 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 entrepreneurship, um, I, and, and I don't mean that in a, in a laissez-faire sort of a way, but, uh, uh, but the ability to be able to really uh, build those things. And, and, and through all of this, uh, we've not spent a lot of time thinking about the customer, but critically important as we 
put all of that in context is to build that against the framework of, well, who and what are our customers? And as we ask those questions of ourselves, what have our customers been through? What have they learned? What are they going to be doing differently? What do we suspect they might do differently that they haven't even figured out just mm -hmm. yet? So how can we get a jump on, uh, on all of that as building part of building that, uh, that resilience and capability that I'm talking about? Excellent. Well, that, those are some uh, some wise words to leave us with, Lance. And uh, I, I certainly appreciate you taking time out of your day to share that with our listeners. Um, Lance, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us in the Presilience podcast. Happy to have been here and good luck. <laughs> Thanks very much. All the best to you. Okay. Bye. Thank you once again to Lance Hockridge for sharing his immense experience and expertise with us and, of course, with all of our listeners. Please make sure you check out our websites at www.presilience.info and www.risk2solution.com. And wherever you are and whatever you're doing here in 2020, stay Presilience. <laughs>